0: Hey, uh, good morning everybody. Hi, Um, Sam asked me to talk about a passion recently. We're on the Hobby Horse um, series. And so, um, by far, this is the most difficult and troubling sermon I've um, I've had to write. The reason is this, I'm a good generalist. Um, I'm quite good at a few things, but not uh, particularly great um, at many. And this was always my issue at school. I was good at school, uh, but not amazing. Um, I did not receive a certificate in anything at a school assembly for my entire primary school. Um, So feel free to grieve. Um, If you're crafty, feel free to uh, design a certificate for me. But um, I realise that some of you have gone through childhood trauma that's worse than that. Uh, But just allow me for a moment to just wallow in my self-pity. I felt like I wasn't that special. And that was until Smithy. Finally, due to a skinny blonde kid called Patrick, who had a voice that was too squeaky, and due to my outstanding role as dad in a school production that was based on a journal, uh, Mr. Hoon gave me the big call-up. He summoned me into his room, along with Patrick. And Patrick got fired, and I got hired. Uh, I was in the big leagues. I was smithy in the school production, called Smithy. I was smithy in Smithy. Um, I'd hit the big time. I was a big deal. Girls whispered and giggled as I sauntered past. <laughs> I felt the boys had a, a new reverence for me. Even the teachers treated me differently. Um, but with a running season of just the Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, uh, with, there was a matinee uh, on, the, on the Wednesday afternoon, just for Sumner School, um, my time in the spotlight was, was short-lived. Within a few days, everybody stopped talking about it, and everybody moved on. I became the Macaulay Culkin of Redcliffe School. You don't know who Macaulay Culkin is. Um, He was Kevin in Home Alone. That was him then, this is him now. (laughs) I think, possibly, he's pastoring a vineyard church somewhere. I'm not sure. (laughs) Anyway, my Christian life, I think, was a wee bit the same. I got radically saved by Jesus. One night, I got filled with the love of God, while in a spa pool under a starry sky, with a dude who had an afro, high on drugs, giggling while I wept. No, he was giggling, I was weeping, um, and I told him about the love of God. And the story of this encounter with God was, well, had, a, had a big impact, um, obviously on me, but also the story swept through Shirley Boys High School. I was a changed man. Um, no longer was I making trouble and bombs, um, but I was talking about God all the time to lots of people. Some people I talked to were scathing, um, some were sceptical, some were seekers, and that one encounter changed everything. And I knew who I was living for. I had a new heart, I was filled with a love for others that I had never had before. I had addictions that disappeared, I devoured my Bible, I had a new heart. My friends decided that that was a bit too full on for them, so they ditched me, but my local youth group embraced me, and my local church celebrated my story, and I became somewhat of a big deal. I knew the role I had to play as a representative of Jesus, and I felt really close to God. I felt like I was involved in a lot of important conversations. Um, sorry, I'm just going to start my timer because... I'm nervous about that. So I felt like I was involved in a lot of important conversations with people. Many of my friends discovered God's love and life for themselves. In some ways, I felt like I was in the spotlight again. I felt like I was smithy again. Discovering Jesus absolutely changed the course of my life. But it didn't change who I was. So my skill set didn't change. My background didn't change. My genetics didn't change. I didn't become smarter. And high school ended... And then I couldn't decide what to do with my life. Everything seemed interesting, but I couldn't find the one thing that I wanted to do. That feeling was compounded because a lot of talk in young adults' Christianity around that time was discovering the will of God for your life. And and this was a terrifying thought for me, actually. I felt like I was in in an airport in a huge foreign city, and I couldn't read any of the flight information, but I needed to make a decision. And if I didn't, I might miss that important flight. God might move on. And I watched as one by one my friends made decisions. I couldn't make a decision. I was a big deal. And surely in this airport terminal, God had a flight for me, and I would discover that flight. That flight onwards to my happy future with him. This became all-consuming. And so I remember I was so passionate about discovering my passion that at 19, when I moved into a sleepout at a house at Living Springs Christian Camp in Christchurch, I would spend hours praying about it. I taped a sign to my door that said, What is your passion? I was physically nauseous with anxiety. (laughs) And a friend of mine out there would gently tease me about this, telling me that that I needed to relax. But she didn't understand. If I couldn't discover my passion, I wouldn't know the will of God. I would miss my flight to my glorious destination. To mix my metaphors completely, um, I felt like the spotlight was moving on and leaving me behind. Eventually, through her womanly powers, she convinced me to relax a bit and to see that God was more interested in my heart and what I could do for him. So I married her, she had my babies, and uh, all was well. This was until Sam asked me to preach on something that I was passionate about, and so some of that anxiety about what I was really passionate about flooded back over me. It's more or less ruined my school holidays um, as I've tinkered and tempered. Um, with all sorts of different ideas, so th- thanks, uh, Sam, uh, bless you. Um, anyway, I don't want to share with you guys today about a feeling, out of a feeling of absolutely nailing it, um, because I really feel like I, I'm not, but I do some things well, uh, and I have learned some important things, um, and so one of the things I've learned is that God couldn't give a rip about my spotlight, or about my need to be smithy, um, he is the light of the world, And occasionally we get our moments, but our role as Christians is to steward and grow in his light. Now, a while ago when I was praying for our church, I had a picture of people's stories being lost. And a picture of them feeling like God's words or writing, they could see it in their past, in their past experiences or past stories. But now they couldn't see what God was up to and what he was doing. And many people felt like the story of their faith used to feel like it had purpose and context and meaning, and now it felt like God had begun to tell other stories and that theirs had been forgotten. And the more people I talked to, the more I realized that this idea of disappointment or, or what God is doing in our lives now or what he was doing seems to resonate with so many people. So many people, I say something about disappointment as a topic that I'm talking about, and they'll tell me. They'll tell me a story, and then they'll tell me answers that they've found themselves. So I realise that for some of you, you will have uh, areas where this will be touching sore spots and bruises, and uh, if I glide past stuff that is a big deal for you, and my apologies, I'll do my best to kind of touch on things, but I realise that I'm not going to be able to touch on everybody's wounds or or provide an answer to everybody's issues, and I, I don't really intend to, but I do want to talk about some of the things that have helped me. So, um, for some of you, you've punched on faithfully, you've turned up to church, you've maybe kept praying, and you're still waiting for God to do what he did when you first became a Christian or in a time when you really felt close to God. And I think maybe it's that moment, you know, like when I wanted to play smithy again, uh, where the story would be about me. Because that's kind of what our culture promises. We're so used to the story of the hero, of the status change from zero to hero, from rags to riches, that we kind of breathe it in. We don't really even realize it's there. We don't realize that Christ offers us a life that's in a totally different way, a deeper life. We've swallowed elements, I think, of a kind of a prosperity-ish gospel that promise us treats and riches and, and health and good times if only we'll serve Jesus. Kind of Father God and Father Christmas kind of get squished into one. If you do the right stuff, you'll get the presents. And even though I've discovered that sometimes the spotlight will be on me, most of the time we're left with a different sort of light. When we read the Scriptures, in the Scriptures it says Jesus is the light of the world. which is so exciting. It says the church is the light of the world. It also says that in his light we'll have light. And one of the, the things that guides me on is that it says his word is a light into our path and a lamp into our feet. It means this, that if we follow Jesus we will face dark times. But we'll have enough light. It may not be a spotlight, might be something a little bit more like a head torch, but we'll get going. And as Beth read out, Psalm twenty three says that in Jesus we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but we will fear no evil. So there are other causes of disappointment. Uh, there's been times where I've struggled with motivation and emotional health, you know, career wise. It's been an issue. there's been times where I've been really angry and treated those I've been close to the worst. There's been times where it seems our whole family's gone through health issues uh, or money issues. And I hate to say it, there's been times when I've resented God's failure to intervene or act. And so these problems haven't fitted well with what we've been just with my view of God. So I have some thoughts on this. Um, six, actually. And if I've still got time, I just might crank into, I don't know, how many guys do you think you'd be able to remember? <laughs> You're looking smart. So sort of somewhere between six and 23 we'll go for <laughs> Um, And so the first is this, and these aren't, by the way, these aren't, like I say, this is not authoritative, these are six things that I thought would be helpful as I sat trying to prepare some thoughts. Okay, so first one is this, is to be biblical with our expectations. Uh, I always interpreted my Sunday school heroes as always being in the spotlight, and they didn't seem to face these sorts of problems that I ended up facing. They had giants to kill, they had seas to part, but they always had the spirit of God with them. Or so I thought. The times where God felt distant just didn't seem to happen to them. I can show you this from the Bible. Uh, Hebrews twelve is the uh, eleven is the great passage of faith. Uh, And what more shall I say? Uh, I do not have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson. about David and Samuel (laughs) and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed. Thank you. Who was that? Who confirmed that? (laughs) It was very, was it Patrick? Thank you. Very confident, Patrick. That's good. Uh, Routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. It's in verse 35, which is halfway through verse 35 there. When we read this, we, we kind of can become a bit disappointed that we miss out on these main bits, on the good bits. Just like we missed that audition, we missed the flight, would take us into the will of God. or like the author of our faith has written the script and forgotten about our role in it. But then again, the second half of verse 35 changes. Like a Quentin Tarantino movie, things get psycho. (laughs) There were others that were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, (laughs) encouraging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sword in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins. And goatskins, destitute, persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains. I used to read this as deserts and mountains, by the way. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. And when we kind of read that, we realize that there's actually a full breadth and width and depth of human experience in all of the characters in the Bible. And sometimes our biblical expectations are just for the fun bits or the good bits or the awesome bits. So when I look at this, my disappointment begins to pale a little. Mm -hmm. Imagine if these guys were on Instagram and I had a little bit of a detour in terms of serious Bible study uh, as I prepared these. I find them funny. (coughs) Hey, getting sawn in two tomorrow. (laughs) Hashtag blessed. Hashtag weight loss. (laughs) Hashtag two is better than one. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And the next one. This is another photo of me wandering the desert, living in a hole in the ground. Hashtag 15-year anniversary. Hashtag living big in a tiny home. (laughs) So uh, often our society is projecting stuff about our lives that don't match up to us, and we feel like Sam talked about last week, a disconnect from that, like we're not fitting part of this big story that should involve us having good times all the time. So yes, the yes. So, oh, hang on. So, when I think about it, God's never promised the easy life. He's promised that if we follow Jesus, then our lives will be changed. We'll view these problems differently. In His light, we will have light. And in Him, we will have peace, even though the world will try to crush us. So, yes, David killed a giant, but then he had to flee and live in caves for years as his mad king chased him, relentlessly pursuing him, trying to kill him. And yes, Moses led his people to freedom, but only after he spent 40 years in the desert, convinced that God had forgotten him. And yes, the disciples were big deals, but they had emotional problems and disagreements and hard family times. And some of them slipped into error as they battled to remain faithful to their calling. And then, without exception, they died really bad deaths. When you look at the history of this, some of this is just nuts. Some of them were sawn in half, apparently. And Peter opted to be crucified upside down. And If you're squeamish, sorry about this. But James was thrown off the top of a building and didn't die. And then he was bashed with stones because he still refused to recant. So our peace and our hope and our concept of blessing needs to be bigger than our circumstances. And so this is the first point. Be biblical in expectations. When I look back at tough times, I'm so grateful God took me there. I'm so thrilled that I didn't get things my way. Hebrews talks about this also. He says, uh, "It says in, in Hebrews twelve, endure. Do I have this one? No. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? And sometimes, when I was a kid, I wouldn't be allowed to go play with my mates on a Saturday morning." I'd have to help with the cleaning of the bricks or painting or gardening. And I resented it at the time. But today I'm grateful for the skills and for the depth of character and the stewardship that some of those things taught us. Sometimes God does take us out of the spotlight because he wants us to grow in depth and character. And sometimes we walk through hard stuff because we are to grow in character. And this mentality is wrong. I want to just pause on this bit because when we think we're in a hard time and we think God's punishing us, I think that's not correct. I think we've got to be careful with the fact that it's saying here, endure it as hardship, endure it as discipline. Sorry, endure hardship as discipline. We've got to kind of consider, God, what are you wanting to say to me in this tough time? Not, God's getting me back for something because I stuffed up. Okay, so God wants us to look more like him. When it feels hard, we've we've got something to learn. God's discipline is out of total love and commitment to us. Uh, Somebody once said, he loves us too much to let us remain how we are. Uh, When I was 25, when I was 25, I had a seizure in the middle of the night. Um, Sorry. Uh, Charlotte thought I'd died. And over the next few weeks, the diagnosis came in, and the doctors said I had sleep epilepsy. So it wasn't that bad, actually, but the terrifying... Loneliness and the feeling that just didn't get this through that time was really, really tough. And so, everybody knows that somebody's going to, you know, this is the weird thing. Everybody understands that at some point uh, bad stuff's going to happen. No one really considers that this is probably pretty inevitable for all of us. Uh, And so, um, I was really, I'm really thankful that God took me through that experience. Um it took me through times of sickness because it, it, honestly, when I listen to other people, it makes me better appreciate my good health, mm. and it makes me better appreciate and be more compassionate on those who are facing hardship mm. so there 's been good fruit through it. Now, could it be that the times of hardship God uses as a way to soften our hearts, mm. soften the hard parts of our hearts? Mm. So our expectation is that we follow Jesus. And the metaphor he gives us for this, it's not particularly cheerful, but it says, take up your cross, okay? And so that's a bit rough, hey? But that's the first point. I think we need to be realistic with our expectations that the Christian life is an incredible life. It is a good life. But at times, it's going to be a really tough life. Okay, so now point two. Be real with God about your disappointment. This is huge. David doesn't hold back in the Bible about his disappointment with God. Psalm 13, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? A friend of mine at um, this church watched as his mother got cancer and became sicker and sicker. The people in the church stated that the Lord had spoken to them it should be healed. He was hopeful that this would happen. And the family and the church continued to pray. And the mother continued to hold out hope, even as she began to lose the last remnants of her health. And sadly, eventually, she died. And on a stormy afternoon, my friend took a walk along the coast. And he hurled his prayers into the wind as the weather and the wind lashed against him. Why, God? Why did you not act? And despite his frustration, despite his anger, he says he's felt a closeness to God and a comfort from God that he has never felt that he never felt before and he's never felt since. And the honesty and the truth required to make our hearts vulnerable to God is worth it. God is not afraid of your pain. He's not afraid of your disappointment. This next one. Uh, Be authentic with others in your disappointment. And When our sound gear got stolen, I, I think we all felt like we got kicked in the guts. It was hard. A work colleague of mine read about it on a Facebook page and him not being a believer and somewhat of a sceptic, he asked with a bit of a smirk, where was Jesus when your sound gear got stolen? <laughs> and a few thoughts crossed my mind. And I've got a little bit of theology in my background. So I thought about you know, some big long answers and then I actually thought, stuff it, I'll tell him the truth. And I said, I've actually been struggling with that very same thing. I, I couldn't work it out. Uh, and it felt, where was Jesus when our sound gear got stolen? And so my colleagues listened carefully and watched carefully to this. And there wasn't a lot they could say at that point. There was no argument that they would come back with. Because in a sense, sense I was sort of agreeing with them. And so I really felt God present at that moment. And I think it's true that people hate fake Christians, right? And so imagine my gloating pleasure also when I was able to announce to the table that that Jesus and Brother Andre had got our sound gear back. Um, But I think actually disappointment resonates with everyone. And the worldview that most people hold is that if they do the right things, a good future awaits them. Uh, <laughs> I want to feel real brutal here, but I don't think it's that true. Uh, and most people are freaking out. There's sort of a silent scream, I think, among a, a society also, as they're discovering that they can't be redeemed through recycling. Um, and through, you know, there's still awful things happening in our world that despite our... Efforts for tolerance and diversity. Hideous events happen like the Christchurch shootings. Disappointment is valid, and we should be authentic about it. The beautiful thing as Christians is that we have a hope. You know, we actually have a hope. Um, So about that, let's lean into the nature of God. I really love the wow moments. I really do. There are times when it feels like something shifts, Um, when you see God is right there doing something incredible. Um, The Bible tells us to praise him for his mighty acts and to thank God for his interventions in the circumstances. But I think above that, though, the Bible teaches us that character grows as we lean into his enduring qualities, as we look at the character of God, as revealed through Jesus. And there's so many great books written about the nature of God. Most theological texts come up with some Huge and ridiculous names for aspects of his nature like immutable and omnipotent and omnipresent. And if you're into big words, go for it. Learn those words. Study that stuff. Feed your heart on it because it's good stuff. But if you would rather just stick to the simple stuff of the fact God is faithful, God is powerful, God is all-seeing, God is good. God is wise. Times where I've had to really dig deep and study those things have led to just awesome fruit, I think, later on. So there's many other aspects of God's nature that it's helpful to meditate on. And I mean, certain songs will do this through worship. But I think deep study at this point is... um, Sorry, I just spied my wife (laughs) peeking through the kitchen at me. Uh, Still distracting me. Um, Yes, thank you. Where am I? Oh yeah, sorry. Spending time studying the nature of God through Scripture brings strength to our souls, I think. Um, David, while still voicing frustration at God's lack of action in Psalm 13 before, still manages to do this. Psalm 13 goes on to do this. Later, we heard from Psalm 13 before where where David was disappointed with God. And then at the end he says this, But I've trusted in your steadfast love. Or another translation of that is loving kindness. Focusing on an aspect of God's nature. And and my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord for he has dealt bountifully with me. God is good. We serve a good God. And God has never hurt us or never harmed us. There's, there's times that we get hurt. There's times that we get harmed. But when we lean into God, we actually realize that he is faithful. He is wise. And he's so far above our understanding that actually leaning into that stuff and trusting that stuff is awesome. Okay, number five, lean into church community through service. This is a bit of an odd one. Uh, but here we go. Rather than a spotlight that's about you, the church is called to be the light of the world. So there's something about us together that radiates a light that's actually beautiful. Again, because Jesus is the light of the world. So uh, for many of you to tell you that church is a great place to take your disappointment, <laughs> feels a little bit like I'm um, telling someone who's burnt their hand to put it over some hot coals. Um, because church can be tough and a massive source of disappointment for believers. I mean, uh, just a little bit of a hands up. How many of you have ever been disappointed by Christians? Just, all right, cool. Okay. I just want to suggest that um, you should tell Jesus about that sometime. Um, I'm pretty sure he'll understand. Uh, this just says, the woman on the left is saying, I'd just love to find a church that accepts me as I am. And Jesus is saying, I know the feeling. And my guess is that if you talk to God about your disappointment uh, with the church, I don't think he's going to go, wow, I just don't get that. I think there's been times where he's been let down by believers also. Um, you know, not to, not to pick on Judas too much, but that can't have been flesh. <laughs> All right. But uh, as much as we can de- be disappointed in church as an organization or as Christians, as members of the church, discipleship means following Jesus with others. As Sam says, like Sam says this about sin, um, Pastor Sam, uh, Pastor Harvey says this about sim, sin. Um, <laughs> let your sin drive you towards God. Um, and I think like I would love to say that let your disappointment with church drive you towards church. Shayla and I have had to do that in our lives. Mm. We've been a bit gutted with church, a bit disappointed, but um, feel. F- uh, uh, but there's times where church has had the only answers I've needed for some of the bruises that have have come from church. As, as weird as it feels, um, you know, Jesus calls the church the hope of this world. And so this vast, strange, sprawling, and often mutated. Organization is somehow viewed as the bride of Christ, and Jesus loves the church. So, I encourage you to do that as well. I want to just quickly, this point was about service. I want to quickly look at this verse here in Nehemiah. Now, this is a small excerpt from Nehemiah where there's a list of individuals who do cool things. Um, there's probably chapters that you could read here if you wanted to. I always find the book of Nehemiah inspiring because right down the bottom, I'm just going to talk about one guy. And I'm just picking his name out of there. Uziel, the son of Haha, one of the goldsmiths, <laughs> repaired the next section, and Han and I, one of the perfume makers, made repairs to that. So this list is in the Bible, and it just records a whole bunch of volunteers who do small little parts to, to do uh, part of God's plan and to work in God's community. And it goes on for chapters and chapters and chapters, these lists of names. And so sometimes as a leadership team, we look around and we're just astounded by God's work and uh, what he's done through Bay Vineyard. But we look around and we see that God's done so much through small acts of service. And so I just probably want to acknowledge that those of you don't just warm seats, but carry seats, those of you don't just drink refreshments, but make them Uh, The little things that people do is astonishing and awesome. Mm. And in that, there's sometimes that it's actually, it can be quite a healing balm to kick back into church community and go, cool, I'm into this. Mm. And in 1 Corinthians 15, it says, My dear children, be firmly fixed, unshakable, always full to overflowing with the Lord's work. In the Lord, as you know, the work that we're doing will not be worthless. Mm. Sometimes I've felt like my work's been useless or worthless and at times the mundaneness of the tasks that have fallen to me have been really boring or really gross. I had to fix the boys' toilets here one morning and I am just not sure who in their right mind would continue to use a toilet once it was obviously blocked. There was a, a, there was a history uh, as I... As I had to clear that thing out. And it left me gagging. <laughs> exactly. It was like archaeology. Um, but N.T. Wright, Pastor Harvey would love this, like craftsmen working on a great cathedral, we've each been given special instructions about the particular stone that we're to spend our lives carving without knowing or being able to guess where, it, where its place is within the grand design. We're assured by the words of Paul and by Jesus' resurrection as the launch of that new creation that the work that we do is not in vain. There is a mystery about building the kingdom of God that just is unfathomable. But there is something about it that brings a blessing to our hearts and brings a healing to us. So if I was to read about the story of our young church, I would celebrate the generosity that's come as a response from God's work. Uh, if I was to do it the nature of Nehemiah's writing, I might talk about Sam, the grower of Beards, son of Graydon Harvey, who beseeched God about his vision for this church and along with the sacrifices of the Dominicans and Keegan and Nan, mother of Jen, the wife of Sam, who with her husband Phil moved to Napier to support the church plant. I would also talk to you about those who gave of their time and their money and their prayers, like Terry and Harney on the welcoming team, or like Sue and Bryce who used their practical skills to sew and mend, or Bryson and Ariana who opened their home and delighted in hosting people and events. In the work of building church, i would also mention to you Steve, the electrician, and Adrian, the care worker, who provided refreshments to our church. I'll talk to you about the time that Jake Mourner, the joiner, made a special trolley so that Paul Duncan, Andrew Harry, and many others wouldn't damage their backs on any more of the chairs. Chris Domigan, the tinkler of keys, and Matt Peter, Aaron Carver of Greenstone, who led the team of musicians and singers. You can understand that when you read Nehemiah, there's something about that that just heartens oh, me. Good. There is a, just a beauty, I think, mm. about all that you've done, mm. Bay Vineyard. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, the way I would have loved that to have gone would be a huge round of applause <laughs> to you guys. <laughs> Because, um, honestly, we look as a leadership team or as anybody I talk to, God's doing something awesome here, but it's not any one person who's mm-hmm. doing it. So. Sam's not pulled a rabbit out of a hat here. Sam's tr- <laughs> trusted uh, people around him have trusted other people. In the, anyway, anyway, cool. All right, so it has been a beautiful pleasure to be able to put my... Shoulder to the plough with you guys as well over this. All right, so, and that feels like I'm part of a bigger story. And with my life group and the church and the other bits and pieces I'm involved with, uh, there is a mysterious nature that somehow is going to be recognised in the age to come. And I love that. And lastly, and this was where we will land, um, lean into the church community for your spiritual growth. And so this is where God's attention is for most of us. When the Bible says something about growing in Christ, it isn't often talking about us competing against others as we read it, sometimes with our individualistic worldview. As an English teacher, uh, we have a pronoun problem uh, where if I'm talking to you, you wouldn't know whether it's a singular or a plural pronoun. I said... Could you get me a glass of water? Are you asking, you know, is, is Luke asking you a hundred people to go and get you a glass of water or one? Mm. We have that same, that sort of squished you mm. in English. Are people following what I'm saying there? When the Bible says things like Christ in you, the hope of glory, mm. it's not talking about just Christ in Jean, mm. Christ in grant. Mm. It's talking about Christ in the the church, the hope of glory. And so there's so many instructions in the Bible that are to you as a community of faith. So many times that the letters are written to communities of faith about how they are to grow together. And man, that heartens me because you have secrets and keys to my spiritual growth. And so the more that we can kind of depend on each other and grow in church community and continue to rely and trust on each other, the better we are together, and I just love that. So there's 58 one another's in the New Testament, all the sorts of one another lines. There's so much work that we can do in our church community and the leaning that we do into to grow. Okay. Um, a quick example of that is what Sam's mentioned already. I work, I've work. i got two groups that I'm committed to and I grow with. There's the Bearded Brothers who meet in a sort of a secret society on Thursday mornings, and we keep each other accountable to certain things and talk about our marriages and grow in our, um, in our understanding of each other. Bit by bit we're growing and learning to trust each other. There's our life group where we have committed to being vulnerable as part of what we do every single week. We talk about our um, our emotions and we pray for each other and we continue to grow. But this last point I want to land on because this is something I want to kind of go into a bit of ministry time with. I want to just um, pray for us together. I think that for some of us we're disappointed and we've carried disappointment about for years. I know for me there's been times where God has broken stuff off me in pre-meetings with ministry time. There's been times I've had to grow through other trials. But for you I don't know what disappointments you're harbouring but for some of you there may be things coming to mind now. And you may need prayer for those. But what I'd like to do is stand and pray. If it's not too weird, I'll pray for you. And then there'll be time if people uh, want to get ministry up the front for different things. So let's stand. To me, the idea that together we're better, to me that's a much better story than me nailing it or becoming smithy again. To me, there's a hope that doesn't disappoint Then and. What I believe is that many of us will discover once again that Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much for your work in our hearts together. Lord, I just pray that right now that those of us who are carrying burdens, things that are, we feel let down in, areas that we, we didn't want to, don't want to talk to you about too much because we're still disappointed, still hurt. Lord, right now I ask Jesus that the power of those things would be broken. And that in our hearts, Lord, we'd be able to release them and trust them to you. Lord, we want to be authentic like David and give those things to you. Mm. And Lord, for some of us, our next step is going to be trusting other people with sharing about that stuff. And whether it's through counseling or just good friends talking about it. Lord, we want to grow through those things. Mm. Lord, right now, we just ask Spirit that you'd come. Mm. Holy Spirit, we just bless your name. We just ask that you'd come and be with us.